Peter starts chapter five with the word, therefore. And in some translations, it uses the word so, uh, but it's the same idea. First Peter chapter five. <clears throat> what does your start with? To the elders among you. What's the last word of chapter four, verse 19? <clears throat> so. so then. Okay, so so he, the, the chapter distinctions are a little unclear. But in, um, in the ESV, the end of chapter four says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Um, and so he, he, he the, then in some translations, the transition to chapter five is built into the back of chapter four, but in other translations, it's moved to chapter five. But he's doing the same thing. He's he's repeating themes throughout the whole letter. And he's reminding us that there is real life to be lived and that we may suffer for it. Sometimes we suffer for doing nothing Sometimes we suffer for doing something bad. Sometimes we suffer for doing the right thing. And so he said, we are in a time when suffering is going to ramp up. Persecution is going to ramp up. I got an email late this afternoon that, that graded my sermon on Sunday as a big fat F. And I said, I appreciate the edification. You just, you, you, you it's there. There are people that are going to, uh, and, and some of them are in power, right? Uh, that's what Peter is saying here. Now, as a reminder, and, and pardon me for going back just a little bit, but this letter was written <clears throat> somewhere around 64, 65 AD. We think that Peter was executed somewhere 65 to 68 so he was in the the last um three years of his life for sure and the persecution that he was beginning to see in rome where he was in prison was not as bad yet in asia minor where he's addressed this letter <clears throat> so I was talking to Brian a little earlier today about what he's going to preach on on Sunday. And he said, the more you study Rome, the more it looks like Dunwoody. The more you study Dunwoody, the more it looks like Rome. Now, there are really bad things that the emperor did because he had the power to do that. And and governmentally, people in our culture don't have that much power. But people who have a lot of money have that much power. Nero didn't do anything that uh, Harvey Weinstein wasn't, wasn't accused of doing. Uh, people who are in positions of power or who have money can, can do all kinds of deviant things and, quote, get away with it. Well, 
Peter was watching the persecution for doing truth and speaking truth. He was watching that ramp up in Rome, but he knew that it had not yet gone to that in Asia Minor where this letter was. And by Asia Minor, you know that I'm talking about what we would call modern South Central Turkey. That, that would be where this whole group of churches that he's writing to. Um, these are also, it's the area of the churches of the Revelation. So if any of you get a, an opportunity to do a tour of the churches of the Revelation, it, it sounds better than it is because most of it's just archaeological sites, and that's not really very exciting. But the churches of the Revelation were also in the same area. So he's writing to a place where persecution was coming, but in their context, it was insults, it was angry emails, it was criticism, it was, it was let me hide behind anonymity, and, and all of a sudden people won't do business with you. Uh, it's uh, uh, you're not allowed to buy property in this neighborhood. You're not allowed to to have access to this privilege. It was it was passive, but but increasingly active. So that that's the landscape he's writing to. But he's he's saying, get ready. It's you know, have, have some thick skin. You're you're going to be ostracized from some of the parties. When he says that in the, the very end of chapter 4, in verse 19 in, in the English Standard Version, he says, therefore, and obviously therefore is connected to all of the things that he said before. And you remember what he said before that. He said, think about what God would have you to do in your relationships with the government. Think about what God would have you to do in your relationships in your home, as you parent, as you husband, as you wife, as you child. Think about how he would have you respond to others. And the, the rationale for this is that Christ suffered immeasurably for us, for us, uh, the suffering so that others might know, so that others might see, so that the, the Roman government even will not have any uh, valid accusations against you. You know, Pilate, as, a, as a, an objective Roman, he didn't want Jesus to be crucified. You know, as, as the Roman atheist, he, he didn't see anything wrong with what Jesus was doing. And yet he bowed to peer pressure to allow Jesus to be uh, uh, tortured and, and to be crucified in the most painful way imaginable. And so Peter is saying, hey, some of that may be coming down the pipe. And indeed it was in Rome. There, there were Christians being crucified in Rome. There were uh, Christians being sewed into the, uh, the, the skin of lions. Now the the Roman Colosseum was not yet built, okay? You know, I don't want you to default in your thinking to the Roman Colosseum and gladiators. That would come later. The Roman Colosseum was not built until 72 AD, and Peter was executed somewhere 65 to 68. Uh, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. So, so Nero was 
was building a case against religious groups. He targeted the Jews by destroying Jerusalem. Well, he didn't. He had already committed suicide by the time that uh, Jerusalem was de- that Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. But Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans just as a uh, let's get the people's mind off of their misery in Rome. Let's get us a military victory that we can put down. And it was actually a military uh, emperor who attacked and destroyed Rome to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus said that not a stone would be left in the temple. So more than you asked for, but uh, you paid good money to be in here tonight. So let's dive into chapter five. Based on all he said so far, based on the instructions about the government, instructions about the home, instructions about holiness, instructions about righteousness, instructions about mercy, instructions about all of the things that we've spent seven sermons talking about. He now says, so let's talk about the church. We've talked about the conduct that others can see and what he's really talking about in chapter five, the Roman government doesn't care how people act inside the church. They, they, they really stayed away from interfering in religion. They, they respected pretty much any religion as long as you didn't disturb the Roman peace. So the words that Peter has in chapter five are sort of internal documents compared to let your conduct be when don't repay evil with evil. Don't repay reviling with reviling, insult for insult, slander for slander. Now he's saying, here are some instructions as to how you operate inside the church. And if I was to add my own so that, it would be what we said about Project Main Street. So that the next generation will pick up the baton. So that the next generation can hear the stories so that the next generation can understand the miracles that God has done, is doing, will do so that the next generation. So he's going to give us instructions about how we act towards each other. And he's been talking about how we act towards outsiders. That makes sense. He's going to close the letter out with some family business. So he says, so Based on all that I've said, I exhort the elders among you. Now, let me read what he said to the elders. Just take it all in. He's going to tell us who they are, and he's going to tell us what they should do. So, So just listen as I read or follow along in your translation. So I exhort the elders among you. Among you. As a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
Now, what does that have to do with culture? We, the, the Issachar factor, this, this whole series is talking about what does Peter say to us about how we act and react, and more importantly, how we respond in the culture. What does this have to do with the culture? Let me ask you this way. If you're over 50, and some of you are, do you really understand or care to understand much about teenage culture? Yeah, we got grandchildren, but, but you're glad they don't have to play their music in your house. We're, you know what I'm saying? We, we want to know about this culture, but there's no way in the world that we're the right voices to truly reach this culture. That's why Brian's preaching this sermon on Sunday morning. And that's the decline of the church. That's Peter's point. Parents that have not been churched. So did any of you hear Skip's uh, statement that that is the decline of the church? So if the elders don't get this and the youngers don't embrace this, who's going to go to their generation? Who's going to be a voice of grace and mercy and peace and righteousness and redemption and forgiveness? I I had this moment as a youth pastor, and, and some of you know that I was a youth pastor a whole lot longer than I've been a pastor. But I had the moment where I sincerely felt like I could still do all the stuff that youth pastors do. But as I looked into the eyes of students, they weren't allowing me into their lives like they used to. The, the, the gray hair was beginning to make a statement, right? We, we, were, we were making fun of each other around the office today about the clothes that we wear, right? Gary always wears a short sleeve plaid shirt, and I always wear a sweater, and so-and-so always wears, and, and we all have our reasons, right? Gary wears a short sleeve shirt because it's comfortable and it makes him look like he works for IBM. <laughs> I wear a sweater because I'm fat and I want to cover it up. And, and we all have this, this we, we don't mean to be our parents, but we just are. We are. And, and, and our theme for Main Street was we need to plant a tree for another generation to sit in the shade. And then we need to teach them what they're supposed to do in the shade. We're, we're supposed to help them understand. And, and the old cliche is that we're always one generation from extinction. You know, we're, we're, every generation of Christianity is one generation from total extinction. Because if we don't share this with the generation that follows us, we are living at a time when there are seven identifiable generations living in our country right now. And what has happened is that the generational markers have shortened. Anybody remember those of you who are, uh, are, are even older than I am? Do you know what generation you're in? No. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. No, yeah. What are you in, Bill? 
Well, I always say I'm a baby boomer, but I'm actually a whatever the one before that is because I was really born in August of 45 and it starts on 46. You are of the silent generation. <laughs> Good luck on that. I'll be the silent majority. Well, if you think about it, that's uh, I, the, the, the seven generations that are still alive in our country, the greatest generation, right. mm-hmm. Tom Brokaw named them that, and almost... the silent generation followed them, uh, the birth years generally given to the silent generation are 1928 through 1945. There are very few people in the greatest generation still alive. I'm a charter member of the World War II Museum in New Orleans. And whenever I go there, they they usually have World War II veterans as volunteer greeters. And those men and women are just older and older. Yeah, if if they served in World War II, then yeah. So the baby boomers are really the first generation where we started talking about generations. And all that means is that there were so many of us who were baby boomers that when we made a decision or when we shaped a trend, there were so many of us doing that. If you were born between 1945 and pretty much 1962, 65 maybe, then you're a baby boomer. And and without being crass, when Johnny came marching home, he marched to the bedroom and they started making babies <laughs> because the birth rates that followed World War II, sorry, the, the birth rates that followed World War II were astronomically more than any generation before them. And there were 76 million baby boomers and that's never happened again. My high school class, we have 300 in my class, 450 in the next class, 600 in the next class. Yep. I was born in 1957, and it is said that I am at the peak of the baby boom, that there were more babies born in 57 than any other year in the country's history up to that time. Wow. Now, other generations that have followed the baby boom have gotten larger than 76 million, but primarily your generation is larger than the baby boomers. I didn't, I didn't realize that. <laughs> well, because I mean, right now I'm, I'm on Medicare and uh, Social Security, basically, and sure, say it could all change anytime. Well, immigration, um, uh, the the the. Uh, mortality of the baby boom. There are there are three generations larger than us now, uh, and the generation that followed the baby boom was gen- generation X or the baby bust. That was a much smaller generation. But then then came the millennials, and the millennials are eighty five million and growing. Now, granted, the global population is a, is a great deal more than it was in nineteen forty five. But but still, the, the, the reason people started looking at this was that each generation has some markers. And if somebody in the generation doesn't get on fire for God, the question remains, will the next generation hear about it? Will the next generation be invested in about it? That's what Peter is saying here. That's the relevance with our culture. 
when when 76 million baby boomers decide that rock and roll is here to stay, rock and roll is here to stay. When a uh, hundred million millennials say that they will no longer talk on the telephone, that they will text and not talk then all of the communication companies have to figure out how texting can be low cost or no cost, like talking on the telephone was for the generation ahead of it. Um, uh, it's really funny. Betty Thompson is in her 80s. She still helps us around the office. And when she, uh, she uh, tells me that I need to make a pastoral call, she says, you need to dial him up. <laughs> and, I, and I'm going vast majority of the people in our church have never dialed a phone in their whole life. And, and so the, the reason for this discussion about the elders is that there is an urgency about shepherding the flock. Now, let's look at some language, uh, either online or, or, or here in the room. Did you notice anything about the the construction of that passage as I read it, that's really interesting to you. Who are the elders? Aren't they the pastors of the church? They are the pastors and leaders of the church. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the, the overseers, the shepherds, and so these weren't just any old people. They were, and, and Peter was probably only in his, probably my age. If, well, if Peter was a little older than Jesus, then okay. Peter was probably born, or he was probably a little younger than Jesus. If Peter was a little younger than Jesus, Jesus was born somewhere between 6 BC and 4 BC probably six and so he was crucified right. 33 right right so, so he was Simon, crucified somewhere around 28 to 30 80. Like in the White Supper and stuff, they all, i mean the last supper they showed peter with it white. Yeah. yeah they probably showed him as white too yeah. <laughs> uh, Bill Adams said that in, in all the paintings of the Last Supper, they show Peter with a long beard that's gray. And I said they show him as a Caucasian, too. And he didn't have a white beard and he probably wasn't a Caucasian. I don't know. He could have been prematurely gray. But but Peter was probably in his he was probably 35 when Jesus was crucified. Okay. And so this is 60. Yeah. So it's 30 years later. Okay, I get he's, he's probably 65. He's enrolling in social security, but he's not going to need it for long because he's, yeah. he's on the Rome plan. And, uh, <laughs> the Rome plan doesn't pay out for long. So all to say he identifies, he says, I am an elder just like you are. I'm trying to instruct the next generation just like you are. I'm one of you. I, I'm, he is not claiming authority as an apostle here. He is, he is getting right in there with them as an elder. Then he says, fellow elder, 
He says, but I did witness the suffering of Christ. So when I say to you, suffering is part of the existence, I know what I'm talking about. But he says, I also took part in the glory of Christ. Now, I wrote a note in my Bible as to what might have been on his mind then. Anybody got a thought? As to a time, well, do you remember a time when Peter saw the glory of God just? The transfiguration. Yeah, the transfiguration. When he saw Moses and Elijah and, and he he said, Jesus, let's let's build little tents for all these guys. And and Jesus said, be best if you don't talk anymore. <laughs> which is always a good response to God's glory. Alan, if you, you, you see revival breaking out in the church, best that you don't talk anymore. Just let God do what he does. <clears throat> um, so he says, I, I, I witnessed a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And now he gives a verb that's also a noun. Shepherd the flock. Now, that alone is loaded. What was Peter thinking when he, think about all the things that Jesus said in the presence of the disciples about being a shepherd. Think about the psalm that he had to memorize when he was a boy. Psalm 23. Think about the John chapter 10 when, when Jesus said, I, I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for the sheep. So when he turns the noun into the verb. And he says shepherd the flock that is among you. That's how we know he's talking about the church. And no longer talking about the culture outside. He, he's telling us that, that what we value as followers of Christ. What we know to be true. God's wrath, God's mercy, God's love, God's atoning sacrifice, God's glory, God's holiness, Jesus's love, Jesus's forgiveness, grace, mercy, role of the Holy Spirit, all of the things that we know or are learning as we walk this life as a disciple, you better entrust those to the younger among you. You don't retire from telling your story to people younger than you. Bill, I, I love your analogy. I, I, I'm interested in the culture because of my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren, but also those in this family of faith. I, I love it when I see older women in the nursery. I love it when I walk into Nancy's class of five-year-olds. Because there is, a, there is a generational bequeathing of this, this gospel story that's taken place. And, and Paul talked about it in Titus, right? The older the men, the younger men, the older women, the younger women. There is this constant theme. Well, that's what Peter's picking up here. And I'm going to let Brian break it out a little bit more. But let's just talk about the scripture. Jesus also said that in John um, 21 16 told um, Peter to feed my sheep. Feed, 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 feed. Yeah. 
and I'm talking about Nancy's five-year-old. Yeah. The younger you can indoctrinate them, I use that word indoctrinate, but church them or yep. pass down the story. Skip said that uh, that Peter is passing on what Jesus said to him. Bob, you got a thought. I, what strikes me is uh, he prefaces the rest of this paragraph with uh, not because uh, you must, but because you're willing. And I just right. like the psychology that Peter understood in talking to people. It was a mature, um, it showed he was a mature man. Let's look at those phrases because he, he sort of has a pattern there. And, and it's very, very clear in the English Standard Version. I, I don't know about the other translations. But three times he says, not and but. So he says, not under compulsion, but willingly. And if, I don't know, if I'm a dad and Sunday morning comes around and I go, Man, I guess we ought to go to church. I had a really bad week at, at work, and my sales numbers were way down, so I, I guess we ought to go pray or sing or give or something. I can't imagine how excited the children are about going to church. So not under compulsion, but, but think about what you're teaching the younger ones. Do you have to go to church or do you get to go to church? I got Mother, mother said we had to go to church. <laughs> yeah, but but you you formed your idea about what it meant to go to church, watching the joy they had or didn't have, right? You you decided if you were going to like it based on whether those who took you to church or or in my case, bus kid, when you got to church, if I see a whole bunch of people couldn't wait to get here, I'm going. There's something going on. So he says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. And the first time I read that, I, I found myself praying. I'm just thankful that God would have me. <laughs> I didn't follow that. Um, I mean, because you, it says, not because you must, but because you're willing. I had the drug problem. I would drug to church. To, yeah. To church. Skip said he had a drug problem. Yeah. He was drugged to church. I was not one to accept Christ at an early age. But I just wonder, you know, uh, okay, I'll confess this. I went to a soccer game. I don't know the rules of soccer. I don't, I don't understand it. I, I was raised in the seventies. It just, and I, and I went to the game and I went, I don't really have a clue as to what's going on, but boy, these people love it. <laughs> these people are excited about it. They, they, they seem to know what's going on. They, they're really fired up about it. It must be fun to be here. So I guess I'm having fun. <laughs> and I, I just think that if somebody who's young comes to church and they, they are greeted by somebody who's not in their generation, they, they see somebody who's in a younger generation, an older generation. They see their own generation. We got seven generations living in our country. The youngest is Generation Alpha, just in case you're keeping score at home. Yeah, we've got the baby boom, the millennials, Generation Z, and then Alpha. 
two seconds. What what delineates that? Who who makes birth it? years? I know, but but uh, mostly it's not, it's not a set number. Uh, asked Greg asked, uh, "What delineates the generations?" Usually, it's an event. Yeah. <clears throat> the greatest generation were those who fought mm -hmm. in. Uh, World War One, and who basically built the industry of the United States. The uh, silent generation were those who didn't make a whole lot of noise once the baby boom got on board. And so they had to figure out what was the cohort before the baby boom. Then the baby boom came along and they were 76. One person called it a 76 million pound elephant rampaging through the lifeline. Uh, I, I mean, I was a recipient of that. I always went to schools that had trailers. There was not a right. day I went to grades K. Well, I didn't go to kindergarten because it wasn't mandatory. But one through 12, every school I went to had trailers. And I, it, it, for me as a pastor, it's like, okay, they knew how many people were born in 1957 by 1958. By 1964, when I went to school, they should have known how many of us there were. Right. They they should have had a head start in building schools, but it was like we got to elementary school and they said, where'd all these kids come from? Let's put some trailers out. We got to middle school. Where'd all these kids come from? Let's put some trailers out. We got to high school. Where'd all these kids come from? Let's put some trailers out. We got to college. Where'd all these kids come from? Let's open up some more loan programs. <laughs> Yeah. And and so it's it's all about looking at the generations that are ahead of us and going, where are they going to be when they're our age? And frankly, that's a whole lot of what we've done around the church. I don't want the next pastor to have to raise money to pay for air conditioners. I want him to be able to do whatever God has called him to do to reach this community for the for the cause of Christ. And and my particular gift apparently is raising a little bit of money, and and here we go. So so we're looking for the next generation, not just to sit in that tree, that shade, but then he says, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Apparently, the pastors or the elders. Uh, received some compensation so they could do the business of the church even while they did something else. Paul was a, a tent maker, but most of the time he got some compensation from the churches that he planted. And he said, but don't think you're going to make a living at this. Don't, don't think this is about you figuring out how to, how to, how to get rich being an elder because that's not happening. But then he says, not domineering over those in your charge. Do any of your translations say not lording it Mine over does. them? Not lording it. Yeah. Over those entrusted to you. Yeah. Being examples to the flock. I, I watched my little grandson. And I know that when he is old enough to understand that I'm really old. The last thing he wants to hear is back in my day, we always did it better. We always had it rougher. We always had it. We went, we walked uphill to school both ways. It was snowing year round. The last thing that they want to hear is us lording our position 
or even our age over them. We are older. We have been given oversight. Taylor, do you remember when you started feeling old playing basketball when some of the younger ones started mm. coming in? Um, yeah. I watched some of the uh, the running quarterbacks in the NFL. And, and you know, we, we think of some of the older ones, Michael Vick, RG3, uh, Cam Newton, McDaniel, and, and how they were running quarterbacks. And then their legs got old. And... And it, it's like all of a sudden we're aware of the younger ones behind us. And we are older. We, we are wiser. We do have some scars. But he says, don't lord that over them. And, and in the subtext here, I wonder if he's saying, help them with the guardrails, but they've got to make their own mistakes. Oh, they've got to learn how to be an adult. Well, that's just it. That we're, they talk about we're raising children. I mean, that's constantly, you know, raising children. We're not. And that's a big mistake. Nobody's raising adults anymore. They're actually raising children. Well, and, and we have a pretty strange culture where old people want to be young and young people want to be old. Right. Um, what, the thing I wanted to point out is someone a little younger in the room. Um, it's just how it says among you in that first verse. And then when it says shepherd God's flock among you, uh, to me, my mom drug me to church as well. <laughs> but something I learned is watching her. Like she may not have said anything to me. She made me come. But when I looked at her in worship, when I looked at her pray, it was something that I, I wanted from myself. Right. So that's what I get when it says among you, because you're, you're touchable. You talked about dialing someone up. I, don't, I have never done that, but I can reach somebody from across the world on my phone. But when you're looking for answers and you're looking for someone who's done it, who's been through it, you're looking for people you can touch. So that to me is what stood out because we can we can talk to many people online, but you can see the people around you. That's, that's something you can touch. That's something you can see what they've done it. They're here. Yeah. They're still around. So that's something that speaks to me is that not only are you an example, that's why he's leading up to this particular thing that act like this, love like this. So when you can be an actual example. So then when we do mess up, we can ask like, hey, you're here. You're still around. Yeah. Yeah. Can I get some advice? Uh, among us. Yeah. Circle it. Circle yeah. it. Then he closes his last statement, not lording it over them. And then the contra to it, he, all three of these statements have a contra, right? Not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for gain, but eagerly. Motivation. Not domineering, not lording it over them, but being examples to the flock. <laughs> you know, that I, we don't hardly any of us, if any of us know what a shepherd really does but what we do know is that the sheep know their voice mm -hmm. that that hasn't changed over all the years of shepherding sheep still learn the voice of the shepherd and and he leads by example come with me come to me and the sheep know his voice in the first century when there was a sheep pen 
a lot of them were shared, right? So, so it was this loose enclosure of, of a low brick wall or sticks or whatever. And sometimes there would be dividers and sometimes it would just be one massive pen and several shepherds might share that same pen. And in the morning when they left the fold, when they were ready to go back out to graze, the shepherd would just start walking and his sheep would follow him. And, and that's what he's trying to say. But the beauty of, of what he says here, so that when the chief shepherd appears, the shepherd of all shepherds, the good shepherd that laid down his life for his sheep, when he appears, and now Peter is looking not back at the glory of the transfiguration, but to the glory of the second, the, the second coming. He's saying when the chief shepherd appears, there will be an unfading crown of glory. So then he starts a new section. Likewise, you who are younger. How are we doing on time, Gary? We are way over. <laughs> Already? I mean, is that a surprise? No, it's not. But I'll, I'll quit by seven. I promise. So he says. Verse five. Likewise, which is another connector, so that, therefore, likewise, he's pointing back in order to point forward. And if you were going to draw a line in this one, you could draw a bracket from verse 5 all the way to verse 10. Because while he aims his comments to the younger who would receive instructions from the elders, he quickly shifts gears to instructions that everybody needs to hear. And that's pretty apparent. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves. Do you see it? Mm -hmm. All of you. So he's no longer talking just to the younger, but he is talking to the younger. He's, he's saying to Alan, there are older pastors you can learn from. There are more experienced people you can learn from. I've had lunch with several of you in this room and sought your wisdom on things that, that I was trying to figure out. So if you're old, there's probably somebody older. If you're wise, there's probably somebody wiser. And so he, but he, but he make no mistake. He is saying to youth who are pretty sure their parents are dumb. Uh, it's amazing how much smarter your parents get over the years, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so he is talking to the young, but he quickly says, hey, you know what? What I'm about to say is probably good for all of us to think about. He says, clothe yourselves in humility. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? He's used humility before. And you remember we talked about it a little bit on Sunday, that humility was not something to be uh, valued in the Roman culture. But he's talking, as Taylor said, to those among you. He's talking to the church. He's saying you guys should be the example of humility. The word he uses for clothe generally refers to the apron that a, 
a person would put on to wash the feet of someone who came into their house. Hmm. So he's, he's going back to a different metaphor here. You know, when it says that Jesus wrapped himself in a, uh, when he washed the disciples, <clears throat> he washed the disciples feet, he wrapped himself in a towel. That, that, that's the apron we're talking about. Clothe yourselves with that type of humility. All of you, but the younger, let's start with you. Wash the feet of the elders. Wash the feet of those who are among you. Serve well. Serve without expectation, without compulsion, with, without lording it over them. You know, a lot of people have pointed out that Jesus washed Judas's feet. That, that he, he, he did not lord his lordship over even Simon Peter, even Judas. So he says, clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. And he quotes a proverb, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, Luke's version of that is that uh, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. There's Proverbs about humility all over the scripture. So then he switches uh, again to the active voice and he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties among him on him because he cares for you. Who worries more, the young or the old? Maybe not anymore. They just worry about different things. Yeah. Right? In the young, they worry about how much time is ahead of them. And when you're old, you worry about how much time is behind you. <laughs> and, and he says, cast all your cares on him. Young, old, elders, youngers. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Then he said, don't miss that there is a um, spiritual battle that's going on. It's not just the people in the culture who are persecuting. It's not just the people outside of the family of faith that have an interest in you. Taylor, I, when you were baptized, I told you, get ready for some, some battles. You know, devil's not pleased when you go under the water. Mm -hmm. Devil's not pleased when, when we make a public statement that says, I'm following Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm out as a follower of Christ. I'm going to do what it takes. I stand for these truths. I stand for the scripture. I may not understand it all, but I, I embrace it all. And that will give us some pushback from the culture. But don't kid yourself. The pushback is not just from the culture. He says, you be sober-minded. What do your translations have? Sober spirit. Sober in spirit. Sober-minded. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's what it is. It's saying, don't, don't let other things... Uh, take away your awareness. Yeah, be alert. I have to be alert. Be alert. Okay. Uh, don't be drunk with wine. 
Uh, don't be drunk with power. Don't be drunk with uh, attention to other things. Be sober-minded. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Boy, that's as clear as anybody can be about what the devil's about. He is a lion roaring not not passive, not that anesthetized thing at the Atlanta Zoo. He he is an active, hungry predator, and he's looking for weakness. He's looking for a slower prey. He's looking for a weaker prey. Now, it's bad enough that the culture wants to send me emails. It's bad enough to think that that that. People don't like my sermons or my style or my sweater or my vocabulary or my background or my accent. I'm trying to think of other ones that I've gotten, but <laughs> it's bad enough that the culture doesn't like it. The devil is after me. He's after my family. He's after you. He's after your family. He's after your job. He's after your influence. The spiritual battle is real. If we believe in a supernatural good, we have to believe in a supernatural evil. I was going to say that. We, I, I we can't just a, believe in heaven and not believe in hell. It's what it is. So he says, Alan, don't be afraid. Yeah, he's real. But he says, you can resist him. You can be firm in your faith. You can know that the same kinds of suffering, Taylor, what you said a minute ago, the same fears, the same criticism, the same anxiety that you have. Nancy's had them. You, that, that, that now you know that some others among you, Christ suffered. The disciples suffered. All of the disciples, except for John, had a violent death. Uh, we And John died of old age, but he was tortured a number of times before he died. N know that the same kinds of suffering are currently being experienced in your brotherhood throughout the world. But after you suffered for a little while, somebody testified the God of all grace. He's called you to his eternal glory. We're not just doing life in Dunwoody, Georgia. We are acting out the glory of God. And sometimes he shows up and just reminds us that we get a glimpse of his glory. We get to see him heal a child. We get to see him uh, reach down and, and somebody who was absolutely reprobate comes to know him and begins to serve him. We get to see a prisoner set free. We get to see a, a sick person healed. We get to see a mean person nice. Every now and then we get to see God's glory, but it is only a glimpse of what we will see. That's what he said earlier. He said, I've seen glory. I've seen the transfiguration, but when the chief shepherd appears, Ooh, that's glory. That's glory. And if it's not so, 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, everything we believe is empty. It's all in vain. So if it is so, and, and let God just reach down and nudge you right now, because it is so, let him tell you that there's a glory awaiting that's unbelievable. That's, that's who we entrust those who pass away. That's who we entrust the, the unimaginable pain of a stillborn baby. That's who we trust a disease we can't explain. That's who we trust somebody who's despondent. That's who we trust. That glory. And he says, it's unimaginable. It's eternal. He will restore the culture. He will confirm you, strengthen you, establish you. And then Peter gets excited to him be the dominion forever and ever. Peter closes the letter by telling us who his scribe is. He said, by Silvanus, some of your translations have Silas. This is my, my writer, my helper. He straightened out my grammar and my Greek. He says, he's a faithful brother. By him, I have written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, Rome, that, that's his code word for Rome, is likewise chosen. She sends you greeting. So does Mark, my son. That's a fun clue. Anybody know what that's a clue to? Well, Mark, the writer of the gospel of Mark. He said, I had a long conversation with this fellow and he wrote a few things down and someday you'll know it as the gospel of Mark. <laughs> John Mark. John Mark. He's the one that Paul sent home. Paul sent him home and dear sweet Peter took him back and Barnabas ministered to him. And well, the interesting thing, failure is not final with God. The interesting thing here is that I believe that Paul and Peter were, were in jail in Rome at the same time. And do you remember at the end of second Timothy, when Paul said, Peter and Paul, well, at the end of second Timothy, Paul said, Send John Mark to me, mm -hmm. for he's useful. And Peter now says he's in Rome. He says, those of us in Babylon, we, we greet you. I greet you. The chosen ones greet you. And so does Mark. So Silas, Silvanus, is writing this for him. But had several conversations with Mark, apparently, and they resulted in what we know. Sometimes it's hard for us to get our minds around the fact that these letters probably came before the Gospels, most yeah. of them. Oh, that makes sense. So the, the, yeah. the Gospels are, are mostly are later. This is a very late letter. So this one is probably after the Gospel of Mark. But... Seems to me like Peter's showing just a little awareness that Mark wrote a few things down that might maybe we'd remember. So then he says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Greet one another with the kiss of love.